0: Wow. Thank you, choir. You think they believe that? I think they, they believe that, singing from their hearts and playing from their hearts. Caleb, I'm, I'm praying that, that May's going to start taking cello lessons soon. Yeah. 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 That's, I, I'm encouraging her, gently nudging her to take cello. I forgot my Bible. I should probably, never done that before. <laughs> uh, we didn't mention in a BBS video, I don't think we mentioned that we also, the children who came to VBS and the workers, I guess, contributed. We raised over $2,000 for the Yarbrough family and their ministry in Ukraine. Where are they? I saw them. They were here. Where, there they are. Stand up. Daniel, Tatiana, Camila. Yeah. What's the name of the ministry? I forgot. Chosen Generation, they serve in Venitsa, Ukraine, doing marriage seminars, church planning work, uh, absolutely amazing work that they're doing. Obviously, they fled here in what, April, March? Is that February? They came here in February, living with Daniel's parents here in the, the Green Hills area, uh, but we are so happy that our children were able to support their ministry. They've been buying generators and washing machines and stuff for their house that they, their ministry owns in Venetia. And as you may have heard in the news, they've been sending rockets. Russia has, is launching more rockets, and some of those have hit Venice So pray for uh, their friends, for their co-workers, for their team who are still on the ground in Venice and pray for the Yarbrows as they look to head back to Venice When we started this series in 1 Corinthians, I was already excited about this day, today, because today we get to talk about 1 Corinthians 13, which is one of the most beautiful passages, not just in... First Corinthians, but in the entire Bible. It's such a, a wonderful chapter on love. It's one of the most famous passages, one of the most beloved passages. How many of you had 1 Corinthians 13 read at your wedding? Yes, a lot of us did. Yeah, and appropriately so. It's a beautiful exposition of love and the, the kind of love that should be the basis for any healthy marriage—we have a newly engaged couple here. You will know that that this kind of love is what you need for your wedding to fl- for your marriage to flourish and thrive as God would have it to. But if you're like my my sons, and you hear you know words like love, and you hear words like wedding, your your mind may immediately go towards uh, what what my kids call romance, <laughs> and it may immediately go towards what Isaiah uh, when he sees. Uh, a, a romance scene in the movie he says oh smoochie kiss skip it skip it that may be the kind of love that we're used to thinking about when we talk about love in our culture you know love is one of those words that in our modern usage has kind of lost its meaning it's lost its impact we have pop songs that teach us about love you uh, may have known in 2010 all you millennials will love this uh In 2010, 15-year-old Justin Bieber, the great theologian, sang these wise words. You are my love, yo. You are my heart, uh uh-huh. And we will never, ever, ever be apart, yo, uh (laughs) uh-huh. When I was 13, I had my, you're all singing it, I know you, first love. Nobody came between us, nor could ever come above. When I was 13. Uh, Your favorite athlete does something in a game, and you say, yes, I love that guy. You schedule a lunch at Baja Burrito because you love those fish tacos. You tell your wife before you walk out the door, I love you. You go to a movie about a superhero called Thor, Love and Thunder, about a superhero who reconnects with an ex-girlfriend and finds inner peace. In 1985, Huey Lewis and the News were asked to write a song for the new movie, Back to the Future, and wrote the song, The Power of Love. And I'm not sure that Huey Lewis knows a lot more about love than Justin Bieber does, but I like that title, The Power of Love, and I've stolen it for my outline today. We're going to call this title, The Power of Love, and I think it's what 1 Corinthians is really 1 Corinthians 13 is really pointing to actually the power of divine love because the key to living the Christian life is that it has to be rooted in the power of love. The key to living the Christian life is rooted in the power of love. In Christ, we have a a picture, an expression of the highest form of love, a greater love than the world has ever known. Before the the New Testament, before Jesus came to show us that love, philosophers described the the pinnacle of love as being wanting the best, seeking the, the highest and the best, which is still really ultimately a form of selfishness, right? You want the best for you, the best for yourself. That's still kind of this chasing after something bigger and better In order to obtain something for me. But when Christianity burst onto the the scene, Christians took this word agape in the Greek, and they kind of transformed it to talk about something bigger, to talk about something deeper. And they said, this is a different kind of love entirely. It's the kind of love that's on blazing display in the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the kind of love that that gives generously because that's its nature. It seeks nothing in return. It just gives and gives and gives. And it it gives out of this supernatural, endless supply. And instead of of being bestowed on objects that are worthy of this love, it's, it's the opposite. This kind of love is poured out onto those who are least deserving. It flows freely to the undeserving and unworthy and unlikely because it's not ultimately about the object of love. It's about the nature of the lover. It's about the one who's doing this love because he is love. The source of agape love is love itself. It's the most perfect, most beautiful, and most profound love in all creation and beyond. This is truly a a transcendent, divine love. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? What wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul, for my soul. So how do we know this love? Well, the other great chapter in the New Testament on love is 1 John 4. I read part of this at a wedding this past weekend. In 1 John 4, the the aging apostle John writes this, God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him now and forever. The gospel shows us the heart of God who is love. The gospel reveals this kind of divine love to us. And you may say, well, yeah, that's God. That's how God loves, but I can't do that because I'm not God. Well, here's the thing. The power of agape love is that when we are so captivated by it, when we are so transformed by it, it enables us to love like God loves. First John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. Okay, so we're way past Justin Bieber, we're way past Huey Lewis now. This is something a lot deeper. We're talking about the kind of love that has the power to make you sell your house and move to Venetia, Ukraine in order to train young couples in marriage and tell them about Jesus. It has the kind of power that will make you look for a house that's near your church family because you want to be so involved and have proximity to the church. It's the kind of love that's so powerful that it can change your stingy, miserly heart into a generous heart, into a joyful, cheerful heart. It's the kind of love that has the power to get your focus off of yourself and to freely look around you and, and meet needs like Carlos prayed a minute ago that we would be able to minister to the needs of others in the name of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so what we're going to see today is that this love is powerful. And if you really get swept away by it, your life just might change forever. So this is dangerous work. But let's stand in honor of God's word as I read our text today. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to back up one verse, verse 31 through 1 Corinthians thirteen, thirteen. Hear now the word of the Lord. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing." Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. You know, have you ever been hiking and, and gone to a stream maybe, and you try to, to cross that stream, and you put your foot on a rock or something, and maybe the water is only a foot, you know, maybe 18 inches deep or something, and you felt like you were going to die? <laughs> you just felt the, the force of even that shallow water, if it's moving quick, it can just take your, your leg out, right? You really have to be careful on those slippery rocks when you set your foot on a rock. I remember being at Fall Creek Falls and not having the adequate you know, footwear, like everybody had these cool chacos on and they were, they were doing great and I was barefoot and I was like, I'm not gonna make it. I'm gonna be swept down the stream here because uh, it's so slippery when you're barefoot because even a little bit of water can, can just take you out. So if you're open to it today, What I'm suggesting is that the power of the surging love of God just might sweep you away if you will give yourself over to it and open your heart to it today to take you where God wants you to go, to sweep you off of our stubborn desire, uh, our stubborn resistance to what he wants to do with us and through us. So again, in a nod to Huey Lewis, I'm calling our outline, the power of love. How God's love changes everything I want us to see really what this text is saying about how God's love is efficacious how it accomplishes things how it actually uh, moves things and transforms things with an amazing power just like a rushing water <clears throat> some scholars have come to this part of first Corinthians and it's kind of sandwiched in between chapter 12 and chapter 14 which are both about spiritual gifts right And they say, well, this this must be a later, uh, you know, addition. Some editor just kind of slipped into 1 Corinthians. But think about it. This makes perfect sense. Paul is writing as a pastor to a young church who's struggling. They're having all kinds of of issues. And his heart is for Corinth to be a, a healthy church, a healthy church. He wants her members to grow into mature disciples who faithfully played their part in God's plans for Corinth and for all of Greece and over into Asia Minor and to the, 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 the Near East. He has a plan for that church in Corinth, and Paul wants those people to live into it. But man, they have a lot of issues. They have a lot of issues. They're still jealous, and they're, they're trying to t- climb the social ladder, and they're trying to one-up even each other. The rich people are eating all the food of the Lord's Supper. The poor people aren't getting any. Uh, they're bragging about earthly things and even spiritual things. We got the gospel. We got the gospel. That's not how you're supposed to do it. And a couple of weeks ago, my, my friend and, and mentor and, and former pastor Frank Lewis did a great job of, of showing us how we're all part of one body and how we each play our part according to to the gifts that God has given us and to the personality that God's given us and to the, the resources that God has given us. I've heard some of you reference, and I've been in meetings, people said, well, Pastor Frank, remember he said that we each play our part. And so, you know, I'm gonna do this part and you do this part. And it's just a beautiful chapter in chapter 12. And we're gonna get to chapter 14 uh, next week. But we need to understand that what we see in chapter 13 is, is what gifts people have, what role they play and what God is doing. Those are kind of surface issues. That's not really the big problem. That's not really the the, the main thing that that we need to understand. We need to understand something more foundational even than spiritual gifts. The great Bible scholar F.F. Bruce says, more important than the gifts of the spirit are the fruits of the spirit, the first and foremost of which is love. Love, the first fruit of the spirit. So point number one on our outline is that love is the basis for all meaningful ministry. These alliterative things. We preachers are the worst, aren't we? Meaningful ministry. God's love has to be the basis if ministry is going to matter. Remember, ministry means meeting needs in the name of Jesus. It's one of our five purposes as a church. All of our good intentions for VBS... All of our good intentions for youth summer camp, which we're leaving tomorrow. All of our good intentions for our life groups, for our food pantry, for this sermon. They don't amount to anything if love is not the motivation behind them. If we're doing any of this stuff for our own glory, prison ministry, we still need prison ministry volunteers, by the way. If you wanna talk to Don or Jim, raise your hand, Don, Jim. They're sitting right there almost together. Uh, Please uh, speak to them after the service all that ministry that we do if we're doing it for ourselves or even worse if we're doing it because we think that by doing that ministry it will somehow earn God's favor and he'll have to let us in to his heaven that that happens all the time people check a box and say well I went to church I fed the hungry I sang in the choir surely I'll go to heaven (laughs) that's not how it works If we're doing it for any other reason, it will not be meaningful ministry. It will simply be uh, going through the motions. That's why Paul says in in the rest of verse 31, he says, I will show you a more excellent way. I'll show you a more excellent way. He wants us to see something higher and and better than having the very best spiritual gift. We have some absolute rock stars in this church, you know. There's not many of us who can prepare a lesson like Alan Wharton or or, or Becky Fulcher who teach these amazingly deep Bible studies, right? Uh, We have people like Sandy Murabito who just seem to spout wisdom in our meetings, you know. And we have these absolute servant-hearted people like Calvin and, and Rob and others who do all this amazing ministry, and we think, oh, I wish I had those gifts, and, and Paul says at the beginning of verse 31, that's good to desire those gifts. It's good to want those gifts, to, to be able to teach like Alan or to serve like Calvin. That, those are good things. And maybe you're here today and you don't feel very impressive, though. Maybe you see, you know, Duran Freeman at VBS and you say, man, I'm, I'm terrible at VBS. <laughs> she's a veteran. And she's so good at it. Maybe you struggle with that comparison game. Maybe you, you see everybody on social media that looks so impressive and you think, man, I'm not very impressive. But all this chapter is asking you to do is to put your foot on the rock and let God's love sweep you away. The, the most unimpressive, the most unathletic, uncoordinated, ungifted people can fall in the river, okay? That's what God is asking us to do today. And when we're caught up in that current, we become part of something that's so much bigger than ourselves. It's so much bigger than any one of us could be on our own because God's love is directing us. Paul says in verse one, if I speak in tongues, remember in chapter 12, they talk about how, what a cool gift speaking in tongues is. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, that means they can speak the truth so pointedly, just cuts through all the lies of this world. And if I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, remember that was a big deal in Corinth, gnosis in Greek, knowledge, having this kind of profound knowledge. If I have all faith, so much faith I can move mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. You know, again, we've had some great guest preachers, I don't know if y'all know like what a big deal some of these guys who've come and preached in this pulpit are. Uh, We had Ray Ortland. I have like 10 of his books on my shelf who came and preached here a couple years ago. We had Scotty Smith, Lil Cook often quotes Scotty Smith's devotions in our staff meetings. Uh, We've had Michael Kelly preach here. Michael Kelly has sold so many books. He's written like seven books. He was vice president of Lifeway for, for many years. And these guys have spoken at huge conferences when there were fourteen thousand SBC messengers in Nashville last summer. Michael Kelly addressed all those people. Frank Lewis, who preached here, you know, he pastored historic First Baptist flagship church for twenty-five years, and of course, our own Bill Sherman. He's having back surgery this week. Pray for him. Uh, you know, Bill uh, preached here for thirty years and was so well known in Nashville and across the nation as an eloquent preacher and a wise pastor but all the fancy words of any great speaker or teacher all the great insights that these brilliant guys can can show us it's all just noise it's all noise if love is not the impetus behind it you know in seminary i knew a few preachers who just love to hear the sound of their own voice you know what i'm talking about those guys will never have a powerful or effective ministry unless they prepare those sermons out of love for their people in their hearts. When I first became a pastor here, a, a veteran pastor took me to coffee and uh, I unloaded on him. I was like, what am I doing? How do you pick what you preach on? And how do you raise up leaders and train them? And how do you do small groups? And, and what's your seven-year strategic plan? And, and, and how do you market? And And how do you you evangelize and and what kind of programs do you use? He said, whoa, 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 whoa. look, if you do these three things, you'll be a good pastor. If you'll preach God's word, if you'll pray, and if you'll love your people. I was like, that's it? I was like, I I can do those things. I'm going to be okay. (laughs) Preach God's word, pray, and love your people. That's so important. No ministry will be effective if the basis of that ministry is not love. I saw so many volunteers, again, selflessly pouring out their energies. Jan Connolly, she worked two v- she did two VBSs every day last week, or for four days. She did ours in the morning. She did Christ Pres at night. Why were they there? Why were they serving here last week? Maybe some of them were serving community service sentences. I don't know, but my guess is that most of them were there because they know the love of God, and they were compelled by that love. Because of God's great love, they, they love children, the least of these, and they love Miss Rachel, and they love our church, and they love our community and neighbors. That kind of love makes for meaningful ministry. Next, Paul describes to us the things that love accomplishes. The, the ESV translation is following the Revised Standard Translation where it looks like he's just describing what love is in verse four. Love is patient, love is kind, but in Greek, these are action words, these are verbs. Paul wants to show us that love is dynamically doing things. Alliteration again, love is dynamically doing things. It is accomplishing what God wants it to accomplish. The King James is better. It says, love suffereth long. It means it's long-suffering. It means that it waits patiently. Man, that's a hard one for, for me, especially in our culture that promises to me they're gonna do things my way right away, right? But, but love waits patiently. It suffers long. Instead of love is kind, what, what the word really means is love demonstrates kindness. Remember biblical kindness, you know, here in the south we're all, you know, about manners and making sure our kids say yes ma'am and yes sir and, I, and we do those things at my house too and I think it's important, but this is not that. Biblical kindness is something much more profound. It's not about being friendly or polite. It's a pure and unselfish concern for the well-being of the other. That's that's a fruit of the spirit too, right? Kindness. Only God's love working in us through the Holy Spirit can make us truly patient and truly kind. Next are eight negated verbs that show the opposite kind of dynamic action from love. Love doesn't envy. Love doesn't brag. It's not arrogant. That's that word that Paul used earlier that literally means puffed up, uh, inflated, You know all those amazing preachers that I named earlier who've spoken to these huge crowds and sold all these books, right? Those are some of the most humble, down-to-earth, and kind guys that you could ever meet. When they came here, none of them asked about an honorarium. They didn't even ask for a bottle of water. Compare that with a guy that uh, I hate to talk bad about. I shouldn't do this. Uh, I, I hired a guy. This is like 15 years ago, I hired a guy as a worship leader for summer camp when I was a youth pastor, and he wasn't anybody famous. He didn't have any songs on the radio, but he brought a bunch of like merch to sell, like with his face on it, uh, t-shirts, and, and he submitted a writer. You know what a writer is? Logan knows what a writer is. He, he gave us a list of things that we're supposed to stock his room with before camp, including like one pound of smoked turkey sliced thinly, and <laughs> like one gallon of iced coffee. And I was like, really? Like, uh, that's, that's not the kind of thing that love does here. It's not inflated with its own self-importance. And then in verse five, love isn't rude. There's more, when we say rude, again, this is more than our Southern sensibilities and minding your manners. It means that love respects all people to the point of deferring to them. Love doesn't talk over people. I'm, I, you know, I'm the worst about listening. Sometimes I'll be in a conversation, and I just can't wait to say what I wanna say. That's not what love does. Love doesn't speak over people. Love doesn't elbow its way to the front. And that's similar to the, the, the next verb. It doesn't insist on its own way. Uh, Anthony Thistleton, he's a, a Bible scholar, He says this means that love is not preoccupied with the interest of the self. A man, in our current culture of hyper-individualism, that sounds crazy. You mean mean don't put yourself first? I mean, all the things that I buy are designed to appeal to my self-interest. Next, love is not irritable. At our house, we talk a lot with our kids about not pushing each other's buttons. You know what I mean? Like, hey, she's just pushing your buttons. He's just pushing your buttons. Don't let them bother you. Don't be irritable. I don't know about you, but this is a hard one for me. I get irritated very quickly. Apparently, my kids come by it honestly. (laughs) Love doesn't get irritated easily. It doesn't get annoyed. It doesn't get exasperated. It doesn't get defensive or easily offended. And then the end of verse five, love doesn't get resentful. That has to do with bitterness and cynicism. Ooh, I'm bad at that too. (laughs) I have many friends who've grown up in the church and have now walked away from the church. They're so jaded and they're so cynical and they're so bitter because of hypocrisy or something. And it's made them miserable and mean-spirited. Verse six, it says, love doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. You know what they say in journalism, right? Rebecca, you're a journalism major. They say, if it bleeds, it leads, right? Meaning people love to hear terrible news. We love to hear misfortune that happened to someone else. We love to hear about terrible things because it's sensational. And it, 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 our fallen, sinful self loves to hear about other people's problems. One of the most popular genres of podcast is true crime, real stories of wrongdoing where people were hurt, stolen from, take advantage of. Love's not like that. I'm not saying you can't listen to True Crime podcasts. okay? Just be aware when you do that you should pray for these victims, okay? That's all I'm saying. Love delights in what is right and what is good and what is true. Love delights in what is right and what is good and what is true. Now, after all these these negative actions, we get what Leon Morris calls some glorious positives in verse 7. It's the climax of the chapter. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This kind of love is tireless, and it's constant, it's consistent. It's the kind of love that Solomon was singing about in in Song of Songs, chapter 8. Verse six, for love is strong as death. Verse seven, many waters cannot quench love. Neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. This is the kind of love that changes everything by its power. That leads us to our last section. Love turns out to be a firm foundation for hope. Love is a firm foundation for hope. Verse 8 says that love never ends. And the word for ends means to, to fall or to collapse. Love never breaks down. It never suffers ruin. That can never happen to this kind of love. And all this other stuff that the Corinthian church thinks is so important, prophecies, tongues, knowledge, that's all going to end. Those are just temporary All of our earthly learning crumbles to dust in the presence of the high and holy God who is love. I like how uh, Thistleton puts it. He says what's true about love at the interpersonal level has even larger implications at the cosmic level in which it relates to the end times. We're not betting our lives on a a set of doctrines or theological principles. What we're ultimately betting our lives on is love. We're betting our lives on the eternal love of God. We think that we have things figured out down here, but ultimately we're just making our best guess. We have no clue as to the reality behind the curtain. Verse nine says, we know in part, We prophesy in part. We're just doing the best we can. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. That leads us to a grown-up life, to understanding a perspective as a grown-up. Verse 11 says that we give up childish ways because we're no longer viewing this life with a short-sighted kind of immaturity. We're taking the long view like a grown-up does. We understand that there's something bigger than us going on, that there's a love that will one day make sense of this. My my friend, Fran Shaka says, this is America. You're all free to believe whatever you want. Go ahead, believe whatever you want. Really, do it. it. It's all fine for you to believe what you want until you die. And then all that matters is what's true. You're free to believe whatever you want until you die. Then all that matters is what's true. We're betting our lives on love, that in the end, God's love is what will prevail, that God's love will last. We only see now in part, we're we're looking at a dim reflection of the truth, but one day we're gonna come face to face with the God who is love. So out of faith, hope, and love, only love remains forever. Our faith will be made sight. We won't have faith anymore, we'll know. Our hope will be realized. And on that day, we'll have no need for faith or hope, but we will be fully swept away by the love that we bet our whole lives on in this life. So let's live into that future now. Let's allow ourselves to be fully given over to the love of God that changes us from the inside out. That love is the basis for any meaningful ministry. It's dynamically doing things now all around us. You can be part of that or you can not be part of that. And it's a firm foundation for our eternal hope. The love of Christ is rich and free, fixed on his own eternally. Nor earth nor hell can it remove long as he lives his own, he'll love. His loving heart engaged to be their everlasting surety. "'Twas love that took their cause in hand, "'and love maintains it to the end. "'Love cannot from its post withdraw, "'nor death, nor hell, nor sin, nor law, "'can turn the surety's heart away. "'He'll love his own to endless day. "'Love has redeemed his sheep with blood, "'and love will bring them safe to God. "'Love calls them all from death to life, and love will finish all their strife. At death beyond the grave, he'll love in endless bliss his own shall prove the blazing glory of that love which never could from them remove, which never could from them remove. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your love that is a sure hope, that is a firm foundation for us to bet our lives on, for us to build our lives on. Your love, oh God, never runs out. It never fails. It's the only thing that can make us right with you, both now and forever. God, we thank you for the cross of Christ, which fully reveals that divine love to us. God, I pray that you would open our stingy hearts today, open our miserly minds to be swept away in the current of your love so that we can be effective in ministry, so that we can be transformed by the dynamic things that that love does, and so that we can have that sure eternal hope of love that will never end even through eternity. God, we can never pay you back for that love, but I pray that as we learn to live more and more into it, that you would conform us to your image, that you would make us love like you are love and like you love. Lord, help us to give our lives away in joy and grateful service as we meet needs, as we play our part in your redemptive purposes for this world and beyond. We love you and pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.